When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hope your Sunday is going well. Uh, welcome to the Tripe Supper 2. Um, for those of you that haven't listened before, it's kind of an extension of the usual podcast we do, but a little, bit, little look at Borough, a few look at other things, and, and generally just a, a bit of a chat. Um, I'm Jonathan Taylor, I'm joined by Philip Talentire and Anthony Vickers, and we'll start off on this special Tripe Supper edition. This week, it's been the 20th anniversary since that Emerson won the goal at Sunderland, which got me thinking in the office, really. I mean, what is the best Borough goals you've witnessed in the flesh down the years? I mean, it's a great question, if I say so myself, because <laughs> <laughs> I came up with it. But um, No, seriously, um, it's a great, isn't it? how you quantify a great goal. Is it because somebody rattles one in from 30 yards and it crashes in off the crossbar or the line and it's spectacular for that reason? Or, or a memorable goal because it crosses the line in the last minute and you win a vital game? I think if you're going on purely purely skillful goals that sit, that sit in the, the memory bank, it's got to be, for me, John Hendry's goal against Millwall at Ayrson Park. Uh, was it 94, Vic? Uh, 91, I think. 91, I get the years mixed up. Uh, but anyway, John Hendry's fantastic goal. I remember being st- stood in the corner um, between the main stand and the hall gate and watching him pick the ball up and run and run and run and dribble and run and, and score the kind of goal that you didn't see very often in those days at the Riverside. And um, definitely for me, that particular goal from, from a Borough player in a Borough match, definitely. Uh, I think it's really hard to quantify it, as you say. I mean, there's, there's goals which are technically brilliant. And you know you're absolutely awestruck by the skill involved. Uh, I mean, Mark Vaduka at Birmingham, uh, a little dink over the defender, whack, turn, volley, F- superb goal, and th- and it would be in any context that would be brilliant. And then you get goals which are, are fantastic and memorable, memorable for emotional reasons. And you're talking about the likes of Macaroni going into his iconic horizontal header at the last minute of Stoyer. I mean, that just ticks so many boxes in terms of of drama. Uh, I think there's been some absolutely cracking goals over the years and one that I could watch time and time again was the, the Borussia-Salona game uh, goal where Bamford finished off an incredible flowing move mm-hmm. against no Millwall. Home, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, that, that was just absolutely mesmerising to watch and it, that, that would grace a Champions League final. The interplay, the movement, uh, the, the dexterity... Uh, and the glee of everyone involved in it, that, that was just an absolutely staggeringly good goal. I think that also another element that comes into defining what a, a great goal is is the element of surprise as well. And if you remember kind of Luke Young's strike, for example, mm. and it was some, someone that you just didn't know that had it in the locker. As soon as the line up the shot, you're kind of thinking, no, don't. And then it hits the top goal. And that also has to play a part, doesn't it? Yeah, of course it does. And a lot of people then ask the question, well, did he mean that? <laughs> Particularly if it's somebody who never scores. I mean, the Justin Hoyt one springs to mind straight away no he didn't <laughs> um, I, mean, I, I mean for me yes I love seeing the, the spectacular goals the, the 30 yard volleys the, the, the free kicks that curl around the wall and beat the keeper in the top corner I also love as Vic says the, the, the last gasp winners you know the Amarebietta's goal at Brentford sticks out as a goal that 
kind of came from nowhere really it was a good finish as well by the way mm. it was a, for a, for a, a defender's finish it was a, but it was the drama of it wasn't it it was you, you felt the optimism drift out of the stadium when that ball hit the back of the net from the Brentford fans and they'd already been moaning all night long about Borough's physical approach and that just gave them one one more thing to moan about so late goals like you say the, the goal against Stal Bucharest the late winner but I mean purely in terms of technical goals I mean you have to that, that, that Baduka goal at Birmingham again just out of this world, breath, breathtaking the skills, tight angle, absolutely leathered it. I mean, Viduka for me had was one of those players who had the ability to score unbelievable goals, and particularly for a big man as well. Yeah, I mean, I think if you drew up a shortlist of ten or twenty, he'd have half a dozen in there because he had the ability to almost freeze time and, and change the change the direction of a ball almost at will and shift his weight. And he he, he could have been. If he had if he had the mentality and the hunger, I think he could have been one of the best players in the world. Mm. Uh, uh, I think he had a slightly lackadaisical attitude to the game, and he was playing it for fun. He wasn't driven in the way some some professionals are. Uh, and I think that another player that might have half a dozen candidates in a, any list would, would be Alan Boxick, who on his day was just such a sublime footballer. It's free that, kick, swing some free kick, but not just that. He, every time he if he wanted to play, if he if he was switched on on any given day, he was by far and away the best player on the pitch without even trying. He had such a swagger and artistry. I mean it, it was beautiful to watch and some of his touches were incredible and then he just like Shrug and walk yeah. back to the halfway line as if they'd done nothing. Yeah, it pretty much felt that season when he, when, I think it was the Venable season, wasn't it? He, he kind of switched himself on for about three or four weeks just to get Burr out of the out of the clarts, yeah. and then and then that was it really. But when he was switched on, I mean, the game at Leicester springs to mind. He's got a wonderful goal at Leicester. That, that's what Borough had in those days. Even when they didn't have the greatest teams, they always seemed to have an individual who more often than not when you needed something could turn it on um, and, and the funny thing is isn't it? You, you seem to get more spectacular I don't know whether it's technology the better boots the better ball the better pitches maybe it's the air's thinner these days I don't know but you seem to get more spectacular goals or as you were saying yeah, earlier yeah. you probably see more goals yeah I, I think it's there's a cultural difference in the way football's perceived now and that we see absolutely every kick of every game in every division in Europe so there's like a flurry of, of goals, but it also means that they're almost forgotten really quickly. The, 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 the memory span of football now is about two weeks, and when people say that's the best ever, it really means like you know since the same this time last month. Uh, there's so many goals that that, that now you, you almost become blind to them. And when we were kids, uh, not, not you, John. Obviously, you're only a young whippersnapper. But when, when we were kids. There wasn't a lot of football on the telly. No. And even Match of the Day didn't show every game that day. It showed highlights from three or four. So a team like Borough might only pop up on national television half a dozen times a season. So you weren't seeing every goal. And when a goal did go in, it really, really was burnt into your memory. And I'm thinking, for instance, that the Terry Cochran goal at Swansea, the, the overhead kick that that put hundreds and hundreds of Teesside children in hospital because they were trying to emulate it on the <laughs> playground the next day. But, but that, that is like an iconic image, be, partly, partly because it was so rare 
that it, it actually set a real marker in people's memories. Now, good goals are ten a penny. What I do like about a goal is if it comes away from home as well. I mean, there's some, obviously there's some incredible memories at Riverside down the years, you know, the macaroni moment will you know, forever be remembered. But I think there's something special about a goal away from home where when that goes in and it's silent mm. and then yeah. you see obviously the limbs in the away end I think that's something special for me I remember obviously um, even just last season look at you know Stuani when he hit that ball and it hit the net the stadium I like just went silent and that, there's some kind of satisfaction I've got about that they're kind of the best kind of wins aren't they away mm. from home particularly when you've been under the cosh a little bit and that's why I mentioned the Amarebi it's a goal um, I'm doing my best to try and pronounce that correctly <laughs> um, you're absolutely right I mean I, I take your point entirely about away goals. I also like, again, going back to the point about they don't have to be classics to be memorable. The goal where it was kind of the wacky races goal where George Friend ran into the stands yeah. and then, was it Forshaw who yeah, scored it, was, it yeah. in the end? Which game? Reading at home, wasn't it? at home, and Borough were up against it. And Albert did a perfect cushioned header with his nose. I mean, that was one of the most dramatic goals I've ever seen. It's not going to make any top 20 lists, you know, in terms of. Skill, although it was a decent finish in the end, it's not going to it's not going to be up there in the the greatest goals of all time from Burr or anybody else. But I mean, in terms of away games, I think particularly maybe if it's a cup tie as well. You know, you mentioned the Terry Cotton goal at Swansea all those years ago. Um, we think of Burr's Burr's wins against Man City and Derby in the cup run uh, was it ninety seven? Um, you know, the, 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 those kind of those kind of memorable moments where you're absolutely right, you silence the away, sorry, you silence the home supporters, and if you're a fan in the away end on days like that, yeah. it doesn't get any better, does it? Yeah, uh, talking about cup goals, uh, uh, Rickard at Bradford, yeah, absolute superb, you know, such a beautiful strike, and it, it came out of nowhere. I mean, Borough had really been struggling mm. to to break them down there, and it was a superb angled. Dipped perfectly, just the right moment. It, it was, it was gorgeous to watch. I don't think there's any any kind of real contenders for goal of the season quite yet, is there? I mean, off the no, I'm having to think about that. I mean, um, I really, I mean, in terms of build up, Johnson's skill in setting up for me. I'm, um, I'm going to say Amarabietta again about him on the brain. That was Son Belonga's yeah, header yeah. against QPR. Yeah. Was a was a lovely to watch, wasn't it? That and the, and then indeed the ball for. Uh, Lewis Baker in the same game. Um, You've got Adama Traore's cameo at Bolton as well. Yeah, I mean, they, but they were made, those skill. goals were a lot about the build-up, weren't they? Rather than the execution, although the execution was good. Um, so um, I don't know. Do you think, think any 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 world worldies? No, not really. I think it's all been fairly routine this so far this season. We haven't really kicked into gear, have we? Uh, I'm hoping that come the end of the season, we'll have three or four candidates for. Well, you know, all-time memorable strikes, but uh, as yet, we haven't really. I mean, I think some of the build-up play has been quite good. I mean, I, I enjoyed watching uh, Britta Sombolonga burst into into the box to, uh, to do his angled drive with a left foot one. Uh, but up up to now, this season, I think we're not we haven't quite clicked yet. So uh, we'll look forward to. To some good candidates later mm, on. Yeah, I think James Madison's for Norwich was probably the only one where it's really come out of nowhere. It was against Borough, wasn't it? Um, but yes, we've got a little wait, unfortunately, because uh, as you know, now the, the Brentford game is passed and it's the, the delights of a second international break. Um, there's three before Christmas and each one of them, I don't know about you two, but they make me more infuriating as they go along. I think the principle of an international break is infuriating, particularly as it... Well, I don't know, there's a good debate all day about the merits of international football. I'd like to see these, I'd rather see these games played in a block 
rather than the interrupting. We have two weeks out and you yeah, can fit four or five of them in. Yeah, even like in some sort of lengthy break and get those games out of the way. That's never going to happen, I don't think. I, I think it, it does interrupt the season. I think when you cover a championship club, from my point, my point of view, it's quite a nice little. I mean, there's too many too soon this season in my. But I do think occasionally give you a nice, you know, if you've been up and down the motorway, you know, already 15 times in a season, then you get the chance of a weekend off. That's the only. I'm trying to think of any other benefit. I don't like the way they spread the internationals out now either. So you've got, you know, games five, six nights on the spin. I'd rather, at least in the old days, you had the look forward to say the, the international on the Saturday afternoon. So there was still that. Even if you weren't covering it as a reporter, there was still that match you could sit down for on a Saturday and enjoy and, and save. Nowadays, it's was it Thursday nights and Friday nights and Tuesday nights and. Um, but the, apart apart from getting a break from you know the the the, the routine of a forty six game season plus cup ties, um, that they really do interrupt the floor. Must be a pain for the players as well because they. I mean, if you're if you're not an international and you're kind of still you've got two weeks without a game, it must be infuriating because surely all you want to do is get get to the next game and you belt them. Yeah, it's possibly good for the coach because it gives them a chance to give the lads a couple of days off and then do some maybe. Uh, detailed tactical work that you don't get when you've got two games a week because you, you know the, the preparation time is always specific to the next opponent. So I think it's probably good for them, and maybe they'll be able to try more elaborate, structured training sessions that they don't normally get. Uh, for me, I find international football tedious. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not the world's biggest England fan, but the current structure with uh, 57. Uh, countries now in qualifying groups of seven and eight uh, it's just so long winded and uh, I mean the, the last the last break I never even realised England were playing because they keep on changing the days now as well so there's no there's no structure to them and uh, very very little interest and I think the club game now is so big that until you get to the actual tournaments it pretty much overshadows and crushes international football yeah, they're a victim of their own success aren't they some, or, or, or lack of success in some respects because what the punters want is the big games against Germany and Italy and Spain you know but reality is the countries don't want those games because they might lose them and not qualify so you end up with games against Slovenia and Slovakia and you know Cyprus or whoever and while that, you know, there's no easy games at this no, level. Well, no, there's no easy games, but there's, there's, I don't know about that. There's no entertaining games at this level, it seems. But no, it's. Um, I would imagine it's something that will be looked at because um, because I think the viewing figures don't, aren't particularly strong, and the attendances are dropping. Not just for England, who, who get relatively strong attendances for international football, but particularly in Europe, some of the attendances are, are fairly pitiful for what should be fairly attractive matches. So. It's, uh, I think there is a little bit of apathy towards it, as Vic says, because you know, in the European Championships, you've got virtually two years of qualifying to, to, to reduce the number of teams down by 50%. Yes. All, all international breaks do for me is it moves my big Aldi shop to a Saturday rather than a Sunday, and you get lost in that miscellaneous aisle in the middle. You, you go shop at Aldi. I've never done Aldi. It's yeah. where, the only place in the world where a lawnmower is next to kind of a cornflower. <laughs> it's, it's utterly ridiculous. Well, if you're ever in there and you see wetsuits, in that little mysterious uh, text. Me. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, well, 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 on the subject of international football, obviously uh, Ben Gibson won't be involved in international football in, in the next kind of fortnight. Um, 
Is this where really the realisation comes home for Ben that obviously a summer move didn't happen, he stayed at Borough, he's dropped out of the England squad as a result of playing Championship football? It's probably the realisation just about now, isn't it, when he's watching those teammates he used to train with what playing on the telly? Yeah, I think partly, I, I, I think the, the, the other way of looking at that question is even if he had made the move, would he be in the squad? We always felt, didn't we, in the summer that he was in the squad because of the players were missing. That's not to say he wasn't good enough to be in the squad, by the way, because he probably is. But he was kind of in and around the squad in the summer because there were absentees. We expected those players back, and when they were back, we thought Ben would probably go on to miss out. Now, whether he would have been involved or not remains to be seen. I think it, it, it wouldn't be human if he wasn't sort of sat there thinking, what if, or if only. You know, it, you know, why wouldn't he? He's an ambitious footballer. He thinks he's probably good enough to play for England. So, you know, when you see those, the games coming up, he must be thinking, well... Am I really going to get a chance in this international cycle? By which I mean until the end of the next World Cup. You know, is it going to be this time next year before he's seen as a as a, as a serious contender for the squad? And um, that seems a long way off at the moment, doesn't it? So I mean, you never know with injuries and with form. But as we've seen from England's latest squad, form doesn't seem to matter in terms of selection. It's just whether your face fits. So. Controversial stuff there, edge of your seat, politics from talent. I'm gonna, I'm gonna text Gareth Southgate <laughs> and say that Phil's well, uh... uh, Fabian Delph. That's all I've got. But no, it's um, it, joking aside. It, you know, I was surprised he's not in the squad. No, not really. Would he've been in the squad anyway? I think that, it's impossible. To, it'd have to, it'd have to have had a storming first few matches of the season with his new club, be it West Brom or whoever. To, to, to unseat some of those players who are in the squad yeah I think that I mean you, you, that's probably an element of truth and he'll, he'll also look at it and after the next tournament you're going you're gonna to imagine that someone like Gary Cahill is going to you know, duck out so I mean there will be openings and, and he's still very young and he's still only 24 he's potentially got another decade you know, at the top level as well as far as I'm concerned, he should be focusing on Borough. I mean, that's that's the important thing. For him to get back in the England frame, I think he needs a really, really good season. And I think with the best one in the world, he hasn't had the best of starts. Uh, maybe we look at him and we set quite a high bar because he was so consistent last year and we expect him to be the best player on the pitch and we expect him to be the best defender in, in, in the division this year. And I don't, I don't think that's been the case. Uh, whether that's a mental thing where, you know, it is having to recalibrate for another season in the championship maybe a little bit of what ifs and regrets there but you know I, I think uh, the only the only consideration of England that should be uh, in his mentality right now is is getting Borough up there and getting back into into the uh, the vision and consciousness of the people who, who pick these teams which as we know is the tabloid press a, a big smirk has just come across my face uh, during, during Vic's Pete there because I've just remembered that The Apprentice starts uh, next week oh dear. Um, which has got, got us onto the subject of obviously uh, box sets TV programmes that we'll be watching over the international break this is kind of the thing that we do in the Trikes Supper 2 and branch it out from just football and I'm going to put it out there. I think The Apprentice is the best thing, best show on telly. Maybe I just need to get out more. But. I think you definitely need to get out more. Uh, it's not reality TV. It's all totally contrived. No, no, I it's don't believe that. It's all totally contrived. That. It's a bunch of inane, fame-hungry idiots who have no discernible entrepreneurial qualities whatsoever. My cousin's on it this year. That's just the judges. <laughs> and I, I really, really don't understand the appeal. And I, I see my family getting the popcorn together and sitting there to watch it and I just think what is the world coming to are you, I'm sorry, are you I'm joining Vic on the fence there yeah I'll, 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 I'll definitely completely echo everything Vic says it, but, but people in my household do watch it and watch it you know again religiously and 
It's like a lot of these reality TV shows, isn't it? I think a lot of people are able to suspend disbelief. Does that make sense? You know, um, almost suspend common sense while these programmes run, like The X Factor, like The Apprentice. Any of those? Did you just compare The X Factor to The Apprentice, though? Well, it's it's meant to be reality TV, isn't it? With with judges deciding people's fates. Um, we all know that it, everything's ratcheted up for dramatic. Um, t- um, Effect, yeah, dramatic effect. You know, we know that you know certain people are put forward and certain people are hidden, depending on the narrative they wanna they wanna show. You know, all of the reality TV programs pick characters out, don't they? Or, or pick a pick a person out. So he's the nearest thing we've got to the the crackerjack who's going to lose it in series two or episode two or whatever. She's the, she's the emotional one. He he's the quiet, angry type. I don't know. You know what I mean? Everyone gets put into a little box. And then, and then the, the programmes are edited in such a way to, to make that the case. But, uh, no, I, I, I don't know how we get past watching... I mean, I just never get past the iPlayer, to be honest. I can't be messing with stuff like The Apprentice Jono. Well, I'm, I'm very disappointed with both of your opinions there. <laughs> well, talking of dramatic effect, which leads us on very nicely. Um, England under-21s against Scotland, is that more of a dramatic effect on Friday? Dale Fry playing at the Riverside? I mean, it, it's, what, it's, does that get your juices flowing? It's an interesting one. I actually like... The games at the Riverside when we get the internationals, so I, you know I, I, I haven't missed many. I think I missed one or two over the last ever since they started bringing the games here, uh, and I, I just like the fact that Middlesbrough on on the map a little bit. Um, although that game over the, that weekend will be overshadowed by the senior squad, won't it? Um, I think it's a good chance for Dale Fry to you know uh, going back to the, the talking about the international break and whether clubs like them. I think managers like them when their players aren't called up by other countries. I'm sure Gary Monk would prefer to have Dale Fry available over the net of that fortnight break to just work with Ben Gibson, with Fabio, with George Friend, whoever. Cyrus Christie will probably be away, but to work, you know, tighten up the defence a bit. A few mistakes have slipped in, you know, a few silly goals. We think of the QPR match. Um, so I think managers like breaks. And, and, and having players away on international duty is a distraction. The game itself, I'm looking forward to England Scotland. Um, I don't, I don't get too upset either way whether England win or lose at under 21 level. I think it's there as a stepping stone, and it's a, it's probably more of a stepping stone than it used to be. We've seen players move into the senior squad from Gareth's under 21 side that he had not so long back. Um, I think in the old days the 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 the, the, the failure rate of under 21s kicking on to the senior team was very very high. Uh, and we think of some of the Borough players that got runouts for the under twenty ones back in the day, who, who who never really kicked on from that level. So, I think I hope there's a good good attendance. I think it's I think it's a sort of match that you know if if I was at a loose end as a as a as a parent on a on a, on a Friday night, I think the game is, isn't it? The t- ticket prices are normally very competitive. It'd be good. It's, I think it's a good entry level game for, for for young kids as well to you know so it'd be be a decent competitive match. Played by players of a decent technical standard. I think. I think you know. I hope it's well supported. Phil, you're clearly not a fan of the Graham Norton show, which is back on Friday. I don't like Graham Norton. I tell you uh, what, we should go around his house and smash his telly. <laughs> tell you what, it's, I'd, it's, I'd it's always watch, lively Friday night to my Graham Norton and Jonathan Ross on, on Dale Freivick. Um, obviously, he's, we've seen him a lot more than we expected this season. Um, and I don't know about you, but I always get a little bit of a, a, a sense of kind of pride or you know, Teesside pride when when you see him alongside Ben Gibson. In terms of iconic centre half partnerships down the years, I mean, clearly you've got the likes of Gareth and, and Ugo. I mean, who, who are the centre half pairings that you 
always look back on most fondly, do you think? Well, if you ask anyone of a certain age, they'll tell you that it's Madrin and Bone. Uh, uh, then a bit older, my age, my generation really, it would be uh, Mogger and Pallister. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think I think Southgate and Ugo were were the perfect balanced pair. But then you know if you look in even more recent years, uh, Hooth and Woodgate, that was that was some mm-hmm. some pairing, even though it was only for a short time. But I, I think it's a generational question. You know, if you ask my mates and and uh, they're sort of older brothers and that, it's definitely it would be uh, Woody Madrin and Stuart Bowe. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think the thing, I think the, the thing that Borough fans had, and, and with a g- good deal of justification, was this feeling that once over it, Borough's good players didn't get picked, recognised by England half as much as they should. Madden being the classic example of a player highly rated by his peers, who never got, uh, I don't think he ever got a call up, did he? Yeah. In the end, Stuart Bohm. I kind of think Stuart Bohm is the Tony Mowbray yeah, he was. to Willie Madrin's um, Gary Pallister and that kind of, but the difference was Gary Pallister did actually get a call up and as a second division player um, those of us are old enough to remember that so there is hope for Ben Gibson in that respect that let's hope he doesn't shoot off to Man United like Pally did it, but I, I, I think I think, we, I think we've been spoiled I think Vic's absolutely right we've been spoiled you know um, to have a player I still think Gareth Southgate is one of the best players Borough ever signed just in terms of an England international, everything he brought to the club, um, his leadership qualities, his behaviour on and off the pitch, everything about him. He was a damn, damn good footballer. Let's not forget. And he uh, got to lift a cup. He got to lift a cup, and he, you know, Hero. it was it was just a fantastic sign. And, and and that era, we had Borough had a really strong central defence more often than not. You know, and even people like Chris Riggett coming through. I know he didn't fully kick on, but he was a good player. Ugo, you mentioned Fester. Um, some really strong candidates for, for you know that, that Borough all-time 11 team but personally for me um, the first the first Borough match I ever saw first match I ever saw back in 1977 I was in the Holgate end looking at the backs of Stuart Bowman and Willie Madrin in that central defensive partnership so that'll, that'll always have a special place I guess Lovely, I'm looking down my checklist and we've ticked off The Apprentice, we've ticked off Graham Norton and we've ticked off the uh, Aldi miscellaneous aisle, so we'll end the tripe supper too. <laughs> On that note, thanks ever so much for listening.